soldier Poorer and older on Halloween day Hi, welcome to Quarter Rest. You are currently listening to Cricket Blue, a Burlington, Vermont-based indie folk duet consisting of Laura Heberlin and Taylor Smith, each on vocals and guitar. I recently sat down in the virtual studio, which is just a fancy way of saying I had a Zoom call, with these two musicians to discuss their music. It was a fun conversation, and not only did they sing for me, there were a few fun and unexpected surprises as well. Let's just say I hope you like Radiohead, but even if, like me, you have somewhat lukewarm feelings about Radiohead, I think you'll enjoy this interview. So let's get to it, right after the theme. Welcome. So we are in the virtual studio with Laura Heberlin and Taylor Smith of Cricket Blue. Hello, guys. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. It's really fun to be here. Excellent. So let's start off with an easy question. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about how Cricket Blue came to be? Sure. Um, Well, Laura and I first met each other uh, in college and we were playing um, as solo acts throughout that time, fans of each other's music. And when we graduated, we both stayed in the state of Vermont. And I guess Cricket Blue basically began because mostly Laura was booking a bunch of shows um, that were pretty long. There were these bar gigs that were two hours or even more than that. And she would ask me to come along to fill up some of the time because who wants to play, you know, for two hours? Um, (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, as, as we split more and more gigs, sort of doing half and half, we, for fun, worked out duets because, hey, we're going to be on the same gig. We should play a few songs together. And then over the course of time, the, the duet portion of our split set just kind of grew to encompass most of it. And we're like, well, I guess we're a band now. And that's how it happened. And then reluctantly, we slapped a name on it. I'm just kidding. It wasn't reluctant. Where did the name come from? That is a question we get asked at just about every gig. And um, I wish we had like a little bit better answer for it. But essentially, my extended family has kind of a funny tradition, which is when you turn 16, you, uh, you come of age and you get named your animal name. You get named by all of the other initiated animals in the family. So I got named a cricket because they're small and they make a lot of noise. And uh, so Taylor was kind of playing around with that concept. And he kind of came up with this character of Cricket Blue, who is supposed to be this kind of like smoke grimed fairy tales set uh, in the Industrial Revolution kind of a... A little character. I think the character, I mean, that is that is true that we ended up thinking it sort of sounded like a little guy, like Little Boy Blue or something. I think the, sure. char- the character came after the combination of words. We sort of had a bunch of words in a hat, uh, one of which was cricket, as, as Laura described, because of her family tradition. And 
uh, we, we both sort of write melancholy songs, so blue is in there. And I was just shaking that metaphorical hat around, and out came Cricket Blue. And I remember, uh, Laura, I wrote you an email to try to convince you that this was the one. That was something like, I think it was just one line. It was like, hey, remember when you were little, you ran away from home and went to see Cricket Blue? And I guess you liked it well enough in that context to make it our band name. This was after Taylor had shot down repeatedly the blue-eyed Kentucky Wilsons. That was really going to be our band name. I think it would have been misleading. I think so, too. <laughs> it, it, it sounds very bluegrass. Yep. <laughs> And honestly, and we, we get asked enough with just if Cricket we're Blue bluegrass. if we're bluegrass. <laughs> so Kentucky, in addition to that, I mean. Yeah. When you have Blue and Kentucky in the name, you're definitely asking for trouble. Like, where's the banjo? <laughs> I was told there was going to be banjo. Well, that's funny because Taylor has taken this time over the pandemic to teach himself banjo. It's true. Oh. I'm, uh, I'm, I've been playing a lot of banjo. I played a lot of banjo today. Will the banjo be making an appearance in future Cricket Blue songs? Is that something we can expect? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say yes. I'm gonna put it out there. All right. I'm open are to you, it. Are you learning very traditional Appalachian style uh, banjo, or just kind of kind of learning whatever you want? In insofar as I'm learning anything in particular, uh, yes, it's pretty traditional Appalachian style. But also, um, I'm having a lot of fun just taking non banjo songs and trying to write sure. banjo versions of them. Um, like our songs or other songs? No, other songs. Uh, th this is gonna uh, this is out out me as a huge nerd, but um, I spent a little while a few days ago, you know, in quarantine with nothing to do, um, writing a, a banjo version of um, the second movement of the New World Symphony, which is my favorite piece of music. The, oh, the wow. second movement goes da 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 da. Right, it's that famous melody. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous, and I was like, that kind of sounds like a banjo tune. So it does. Well, the New World Symphony was meant to evoke American music. Dvorak kind of incorporated sounds that were associated with the United States. I mean, he even kind of borrowed from like African American spirituals, not very authentically, but to you know his fellow Czech people, it probably sounded convincing enough. Good enough to evoke. A vague sense exactly. of uh, America, this distant land. So yeah, bringing it full circle, you know, to come back and play it on a banjo seems kind of right. I think you should record it. That sounds like it would be good. That was a lot less nerdy than I thought you were going to Yeah, I was, I was worried you were going to say like Creep by Radiohead or something. <laughs> I, is, that, is that nerdy or is that just... No, not nerdy, but it's like... I can see somebody learning banjo and being like, I'm going to play Creep by Radiohead on the banjo. <laughs> I, I feel like I've heard that like several times and, uh, you know, nothing against Just that song. For but the does novelty. it need to be played on banjo? Well, yeah, there's the novelty, but that's about it. Is the banjo nearby? Not really. Uh, I mean, oh, I, def okay. I definitely could get it. I could be back with it in uh, one minute. If there's one thing I know about Taylor, it's that he could play the song Creep by Radiohead on his banjo. I'm not going to try it before I start the song. Uh, what, 
what's the what's the very first words? I wanna do something. I wanna have control. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. I want you to FTC rules here, can I say? You're so oh, yeah. Go very for it. special. <laughs> but I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. <laughs> don't care if it hurts, etc. I, uh, I. Sometimes we talk about what our gentle superpowers are, and that is Taylor's. So you can tell him to play whatever song he has heard a couple times on whatever instrument is at hand. And what is your superpower? Oh, um, something like getting cold easily. I'm not sure. Mm. Comes in handy in Vermont. <laughs> a superpower, a gentle superpower that, that Laura and I share, which is nice that we both have it. Um, is fitting through surprisingly small spaces. That's true, well, that, yeah. That could come in handy. Yeah. Uh, in a crowd, it's like really nice. Oh, yeah. Less valuable in Vermont with lo- with a relatively low population density <laughs> and not a lot of tight alleyways, but still. <laughs> maybe in some older Vermont farmhouses where you have to, you know, you have to like, you know, the, the sink is under the eaves or something. Could be valuable right. there. I do really like slanted ceilings, as I've discovered. So on the subject of Vermont, I assume that in the before times, back when gigging was still a thing, that a lot of your gigging was taking place in Vermont. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the music scene in Vermont? Uh, We love the music scene in Vermont. Um, It is a lot of very supportive people who are our friends. Um, And I think what's kind of unique about it is there... I feel like there are a lot of artists for how small the city is, and so it's just kind of a nice place to be artistically. I second everything Laura said. I mean, I think the music scene is the, the reason I'm in Vermont. I think it's um, the thing that like kept me anchored to the state when I graduated from school. And um, yeah, everybody is really supportive. As Laura said, there seems to be a high density of musicians for the smallness of the city. And that's really fun because not only are there lots of people to support each other, but you get to experience just people putting out huge amounts of art all the time. Um, I guess that's true in other fields. You know, it's not just music. It's Burlington is just a very vibrant, creative place. Um, So it's been a great place for us to, you know, sort of grow up in our, our craft here. This is unrelated to music, but I will say that Burlington has cornered the specific market of, um, breakfast places that do not serve any other meals really good at that because then the breakfast really shines you know so specializing just in breakfast Mm -hmm. breakfast all day or you mean literally they just so they just are open for breakfast Mm -hmm. and that's it you can't do that in manhattan because the rent is too expensive you have to open for every meal 
Right. But in Burlington, you can do it with just breakfast. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of like 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. places in Burlington. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I think when a lot of people think about Vermont, they think about fish, they think about jam bands, but that may be a little bit outdated. Do you think that's still kind of the dominant thing in Burlington, or has it shifted? No, I think that that's still kind of the caricature of what's coming out of Vermont, but in terms of like what is actually being played in Vermont, I would say not at all. I think it's a lot more diverse than that. Um, I mean, I, I think there are still really solid jam bands and sort of fusion bands and funk bands doing um, like a, a fish or it's something like fish adjacent. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I don't think it's the dominant force really. Um, you can find you can find basically any type of music that you like in Burlington now, which is very cool. Eh, that's not literally true, but lots and lots of types of music. So let's talk a little bit about your songwriting process. Um, do you guys tend to write songs together or does one of you start out with an idea, kick it over to the other and sort of hash it out together? Or do you just really come to not at to all. each other with fully <laughs> completed songs? Not at all to any of those. Sorry. So t- well, we... So what's your process? Well, what were you going to say to uh, Just that it's evolved. But yeah, it has evolved. It has evolved. So we basically come to each other with a complete draft of a song. So it has all of its parts, theoretically, um, and it has words to every part. And it has kind of, you know, its melody, most of its musical concept. And then we undergo heavy co-revision. So we'll kind of send each other like a little demo recording and the lyrics and then the other person will listen to the recording, and then um, we've got a tri-color highlight system where um, lyrics that we really like, we highlight in green. Lyrics we think need to change, we highlight in red. And then we've got our salmon-colored highlights, which are like, you might be able to keep this, but tell me why it's good. So you really have like a line-by-line veto system for (laughs) lyrics. What about for the for melodies and chord progressions? Do you guys work that out together as well, or do you tend to have one of you come up with the the you know the tune and uh, and you work on the lyrics together? Um, we so I would say more often Taylor will veto chords that I've put in. <laughs> um, I'll make I'll make just soft suggestions about yeah i mean it's it's never like it's never a veto it's never like a hard no for any of this stuff it's all you know collaborative um but yeah we do sometimes change musical ideas if something is boring or if something if i write something that taylor thinks sounds like a punk song that feels aimless or something he will tell me that and i will change what i'm doing like one really specific type of thing, just as an example um, of a suggestion I might give, is I, uh, perhaps to a fault, really like efficiency in songwriting. Okay. Where mm-hmm. if so there's true. like a couple bars of just a repeated chord, because, you know, songs work in four bar phrases, right? But it's just like the same thing for a few bars with no words. I'm like, just leave one of them out. Just get get back to the words. Just, and so sometimes I'll be like, hey, Laura, like, what if you didn't repeat that chord? 
without any words over it? What if we just like kept going? And she'll think about it. And sometimes she does. That is something that happens probably every time we revise together. (laughs) So it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things I have noticed in your music is I don't know that I would have called it efficiency, although I I don't disagree. There isn't a lot of repeated sort of mindless repetition in the songs. But I've noticed that, you know, usually when something is repeated, it's not repeated in exactly the same way. There are a lot of little little kinks and variations uh, and also unexpected chords or an unexpected note in the melody. Um, I'm wondering, is that something that comes from both of you guys? Is that something that comes from the collaborative process is is one of you sort of drawing on an influence there if you know if you understand what i actually mean by (laughs) by what i just described i do and i really appreciate that you have listened closely enough to notice that and i feel like taylor is about to say something um no i think probably what i would have said uh is that yes it comes from um both of us i think we both uh are, are interested in like trying out new non-tropey things um i think yeah it comes across it's possible that we laura and i most naturally do that in like different aspects of our songwriting though could you pinpoint what comes from from you and what comes from laura a thing that comes more from me than from laura which maybe is related to the thing i was saying about efficiency before is like messing with time signatures or like dropping uh-huh. beats or adding beats. I think that's a way in which I like to throw listeners like off kilter slightly. Um, Laura, what do you do more than I do? Um, I mean, well, one thing that we both do, would you say major chords? Oh, diminish. Well, diminish E chords. Um, you like that crunchy sound? We both like that crunchy sound, yeah. <laughs> I have noticed it. It works its way into a lot of your songs. <laughs> yeah. And you'll even end a line on a diminished chord, which for listeners who, who aren't, you know, music theory inclined, a, a diminished chord is just a very crunchy kind of dissonant chord. You usually don't end a line on a chord like that. You would usually resolve it to something a little bit, uh, a little bit smoother, but I think it works very well. Oh, thank you. That is that's a very Heberlin thing. That's coming from Laura. The ending lines on diminished chords. So listeners, if you listen to a cricket blues song and at the end you're like, Oh, I hope everybody's gonna be okay. That <laughs> you can thank Laura for that. Oh sorry. Um I mean it in a good thing, way. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I think we both tend to do, and I don't know if if one of us influenced the other one, but I think it's true for both of us, is we don't really do choruses. Um, we both would rather say something new every time rather than like say the same words because it just doesn't feel like you're... Um... I, I have noticed that. Yeah. You might have a refrain, but, but rarely is there a full-blown chorus. Right. You might have like a line that, that comes back that's very, very similar to poetry. You might have like a a parallelism or a line that comes back, but not always in the same way and not really feeling like a chorus because a chorus is really, you know, there's kind of an emotional lift and often, you know, in, in typical pop writing, the chorus is, you know, it's like the catchy part and everything else is kind of, kind of uh, treated as, as 
as whatever. But that doesn't really seem to happen in your songs. I think part of it comes from the fact that both of us, this might be the same thing Laura was saying, but like we tend to think about songs more linearly. Um, I think okay. partially because we, we tell a lot of stories and like do character sort of sketches in our songs. And so if a song is trying to like talk about a thing that's progressing linearly through time, um, a co- the, the verse chorus structure doesn't really lend itself to that because a chorus is like a thing that you're repeating from earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I think verse chorus structure works best for like a song that is trying to isolate a moment and like talk about a thing that's sort of ec- outside of time. You know, Um, like this one particular feeling or like this one particular idea, but something that's narrative has a hard time working in choruses. And I think since we do a lot of that, that's probably why we lean towards more the like refrain rather than the full blown chorus. I feel like the exception to what you're saying, and I'm I'm going to do another Taylor Smith challenge right here, is um, country songs are often linear stories. And you just change like one word in the chorus. And... Now I would like you to parody a country song. You want me to write a country song? Yeah. Can I have a Can I have like a word to seed me or something? Like I don't. Um. Bells. Bells. All right. Or like a truck. I don't know. Bells is maybe too low. <laughs> truck yeah sure why not both Cry in a country song. Sorry, that's kind no. of off, Brian. Uh, it's a very progressive country song. Right. This man was in touch with his emotional side. <laughs> he was sad she wouldn't be his bride. Drove down to the center of town. But he almost broke down when he heard that sound. It was the bells ringing out. For somebody else's wedding day, the bells are ringing out, and all that man could do was pray that someday he would be the one walking down that aisle while he heard that ringing sound. These are the bells. Now, I would actually like to play a couple of your guys' songs for the listener. So why don't we start off with, I actually want to play two songs back to back. This is from your album, Serotonalia. Please correct my pronunciation. That was exactly right. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm usually pretty good with pronunciation, but I wanted to be careful. So I want to play the first two songs from this record, just because they seem to go together. 
So they are oracles, and the second one is Alicia from the store. When your mama made her mind up, your parts should be combined. Did she ask herself whether that was kind? Fingers in the viscera, jelly on her skin. From her respect source, anographer, ask what was coming. Run to Delphi, mothers, what a thing to be. Setting, rolling all these stones involuntarily. Run to Delphi, mothers, what a thing to do. Weeping to release someone who surely will weep too. Does the body worry if you keep it inside? Does it feel at home? Does the body worry with the shade up? To the cars outside, if you keep it in. Ooh, Alicia tells me men are dogs while we mop the floor. I see her get into their cars when her register is closed. Her mouth is brown with lipstick. Her hair is soft and smells like smoke.
Can a body survive? Will you take it to the cellar? The bones and the tether lay the bones of the dog and the body together. Does the body worry if you keep it in? So guys, uh, what's going on in this song? What can you tell me about this song? Who wrote Who wrote Alicia from the Store? Um, I wrote Alicia from the Store, and uh, it is about several things. Well, one thing it's about is um, a young woman, a college student, who gets a summer job at a grocery store. And she is being trained by her co-worker, Alicia, who's a little bit older than she is and who uh, works at this grocery store full-time, presumably for the foreseeable future. That's Mm. Alicia's path. And so this college student is kind of thinking about how that is not her path um, and how they're meeting for this very kind of short moment in time. Is this autobiographical at all? Um... I mean, in ways, yeah. In ways, I I have little pieces of myself both in Alicia and in the narrator. Um, I didn't work a summer job at a grocery store, so I mean, <laughs> I didn't I didn't sell produce. That is not, uh, you know, literally true. But there are little uh, anxieties of mine that are represented by these two characters for sure all right so i would actually like to play another song now uh from the same record and this one is called psalm Garlic sprouting yellow 
thrives. Lay my head on some new pillow. I don't cry. On the day bed, I sat and wept. When I remember time, was I on the mirror? What did his hands look like? What is a poplar tree? So tired, my comfort said, and all things wild must go to bed. The paint gone dry, the yeast all dead. So I'm going to ask the same question here. Who wrote this song and, and what's going on here in the lyrics? It, the, the lyrics are very religious. I mean, it's not surprising. The song is called Psalm. We hear Zion referenced <laughs> a lot. We hear Jerusalem spoken about a lot. 
Um, is this meant to, I mean, obviously it's meant to evoke religion, but is, is this meant as a religious song? Um, so I wrote this song also. And um, if people want to listen to this song as a religious song, I'm very open to that. I did not write it as a religious song uh, for my own purposes. Um, this is a song that I wrote um, at a time when a very long and important relationship in my life had just ended. And um, from the time that it ended, I had this horrible writer's block. And so the way that I got over that writer's block was to plagiarize the Old Testament and directly rip off the lyrics of the first verse from the Old Testament. So um, it is a psalm about... uh, you know, going down to the rivers of Babylon and weeping because you've lost your homeland. And that was resonating with me. Um, feeling like I had lost my creative homeland. Um, but the other thing about this song, it's not just, it doesn't just stay in that idea, but it also, um, it's about kind of moving on with your life and kind of like looking around you to see if that's okay to do. Um, about leading a, a comfortable life, a life that's so comfortable that you have a day bed in addition to your night bed. You're in, you're indoors, you're not wild anymore, and you're looking around and you're looking at garlic and you're like, well, this garlic is sprouting and alive and that doesn't seem to be bad and dogs are no longer wolves and they live inside and they're not bad, right? So that song is kind of Taylor, you look like you're about to say something. Well, I just, I, I really like that aspect of the song. And it like makes me think about that feeling where when you're in a lot of, I'll speak for myself, when, I, when I'm in a lot of emotional <laughs> distress or something that feels sort of personally catastrophic has happened, there's this weird dissonance when you like look around and all of the ordinary stuff hasn't reacted to that at all. The world is just like, is fine. And has not, uh, you know, decided, the garlic has not decided to wither and die in solidarity with you. It's like growing anyway. Um, I like think. It goes on? Yeah, right. But like, I think the magical thinking part of our brains sometimes feels weird about that, or for me. Um, and to be clear, the magical thinking part of my brain is my entire brain. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I resonate with the song, I guess. Do you write lyrics to be easily understood? Or do you write lyrics to be open to interpretation? Mm, Good question. I think Taylor and I might have slightly different answers on this. Um, I would say our lyrics are quite dense. And I would say that um, the casual listener probably won't pick up everything that we're putting down, which is fine. I think you can listen to them on more of a surface level if you want to. Um, I mostly have an interpretation that I intend for people to pick up if they are looking closely. Um, I think Taylor maybe is more into Death of the Author. Um, What would you say, Taylor? Yeah, I I, I think that's true in terms of the validity of different interpretations or something. I I don't really think about it like if someone lands upon the interpretation that I had in my head, they're right. 
Yeah, it's like I I don't think that that's like the the best or only way of experiencing a song is to like get what I meant or something. Um, sure. But I I do I wouldn't say I write lyrics to be easily understood. Um, I think I, I think I'd probably be failing at that goal if that was my goal. Um, I think I write lyrics to um, f- for someone who is merely listening to them and letting them sort of wash over them i want the lyrics to like have some particular emotional effect and if they make someone feel a certain way or put their mind in a certain idea space then that is what i'm trying to accomplish i also do for myself really enjoy the experience of listening to a song a fourth or fifth time and suddenly having like a piece of the poetry click where you're Mm -hmm. like oh that isn't just sort of like a a random set of images it like means this thing and it like took a little while for my brain to parse it together because it had this translucent veil in front of it but like the veil flapped back for mm. a second and now i see it and now i can never unsee it and i find i just find that experience like, you really like satisfying. you like having the puzzle pieces come together yes, you like exactly the, the kind of excitement of that i really like yes that feeling of the puzzle pieces <clears throat> coming together and some of my songs i write sort of hoping that some i can give someone else that experience uh, if they, you know, if they deign to like sort of put the time into listening enough to have that experience, but yeah, that's what I hope for. So you've alluded to this, and it's something I've noticed as well. And I think probably anybody who reads through your lyrics or listens to them very closely would notice that yeah, you do a lot of character sketches. There's a lot of third person in your songs, and I think that's kind of interesting because. I mean, your music is rooted in folk, and folk is often very confessional, very personal, very first person. Is there a particular reason you've decided to to write in that style? Are you are you trying to avoid the tropes, or is it just does that just speak to you more? For me, it's just kind of um, like a more interesting and more precise way of writing. Um, in that my life has a lot of similar things happening day to day. And so if I were to just write about the same thing over and over, I, I don't, it would be hard for me to make that particularly interesting. But I think one thing that really draws me to character writing is, um, the ability to have narrative distance from my characters I really like to be able to make my character say something and have the listener say, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say. Or like, uh, to I, I want room for the listener to be able to question what the narrator is saying uh, or thinking or experiencing. So you want kind of an uh, unreliable narrator? I think. Yeah, yeah, I do. A lot of the time I do. Why? What, what attracts you to that? Um, I actually think it's a great way to write about yourself. If you are able to kind of pull yourself out as, as a character or, or Mm -hmm. one attribute about yourself that you're examining. Kind of like a caricature of some aspect of yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of my songs are caricatures of myself. Um, and yeah, it allows you to kind of, uh, exaggerate it in a way that wouldn't be authentic if it were um just truly what you thought and felt yeah i think that the the thing about 
using songs to draw out an aspect of your personality and sort of amplify it and play with it. Um, maybe to extremes that you yourself don't endorse or like actually want to inhabit uh, is certainly a thing that I use songwriting for too. Um, I also think, I mean, as, as you were saying, like there is a really strong tradition within folk music, a very confessional first person sort of singer songwriter with their heart on their sleeve. Um, I all, but additionally, I think there's, there is a strong tradition within folk of sort of more anthropological uh, songwriting of like noticing uh, various ways that people live their lives and being like, hey, that sort of person over there uh, deserves a song describing them. And I'm going to sort of draw it out from whatever mist it's in and like put it in this uh, piece of poetry. Um, and so I think there's precedent for that type of thing as well. Ha having having said that, I will say Laura, I think, accomplished this, this more often and much better than I do in terms of telling stories about like interesting sorts of people who are not herself um of the two of us i think what's the I am weirdest character study you've done in a cricket blue song um i don't know why this popped into my mind because it is so not current but way 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 at the beginning we had a song about the biblis okay. myth yeah <laughs> i played saxophone on it which taylor played saxophone on it was like super crunchy and and minor and sad. And it is a myth about um, a woman falling in love with her twin brother. That's how I remember it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. She gets shot by Cupid and she falls in love with her twin brother. And she like has all these justifications about like why why that's okay. Um, so that that's probably the weirdest song to introduce to the public. <laughs> Maybe we maybe shouldn't we delve into what aspect of yourself you were exploring through that song. Maybe we can leave that to the imaginations of the listeners. I don't have a brother. That's reassuring. All right. So I think you guys were going to play a couple songs. Now, unfortunately, we would have loved to have you play some songs together, but you are actually not physically in the same place right now. We are still in the midst of quarantining, social distancing. And you guys are at your respective homes, your respective residences right now. So I think, you know, if you guys could maybe take, take turns playing a song or two, I think that would be lovely. All right. So um, speaking of narrative distance, this is an excellent example of a song I wrote uh, about an old maid with a Victorian sensibility who uh, maybe embodies some facets uh, cartoonishly. This is a song about a woman who falls in love with her milkman because the milk that he brings her is so fresh that she thinks he's great. Face the ill in feet 
At the end of the song, when she's singing, I can't let you out, is this as sinister as it as it kind of sounds? Does she kill yeah. the milkman? Well, she at least traps him um, in a room by shoving a chair up against a door. So, you know, sure. kind of like under the doorknob so a, he can't Kind of a misery get out. Stephen King situation. It's been compared to Taylor. You have a song you'd like to play? Sure. I want to play a song about a uh, a boy going a lot of different geographical locations and having a lot of um, self pity. All right.
I haven't told our friends a thing Still sacked out on the floor Fog is on the pitch pines When I sneak out to the shore Bring your ruthless letter And I like the way it ends Care less for humankind Worry more about your friends The sun was strong on a straw boy Chambers even in the shade Would you look at the mess I made I had just been dumped in Dublin I returned to ladies club And I summoned up for trial My illusions about love I did some dire songs To set my evidence in place And when someone kissed me lazily Said, miss, I rest my case Her arms were tangled for a straw boy She'd learned to never feel afraid Said so on her shoulder blade With my sick and famous lover, I won't claim that I was kind. She gave me gruesome poems that still jangle in my mind. I learned some ocean creatures must swim constantly to breathe, and she couldn't let me in. She wouldn't make me leave. She pushed a pin into a straw boy. Has misbegotten music played for us? Retrograde Come fall off fly to San Francisco There's a girl in a white cloche hat She skims me like a catalog And I like her most for that Her pen spins like a compass Back to sadness for a dare That last time that I met her She was barely even there She hums a to a straw boy Her colors vividly displayed All set to run and fade And so with buried feet I watch the sun and ocean Engulfing crowds of people that do not know you exist As flocking gulls come inland, swoop and spy the wild corn king Who once knew where he stood, now he doesn't know a thing The seasons are hard on a straw boy Um, I am going to play uh, my o my most autobiographical song from the album, which is a song about uh, this one time when I was reading a book at my house and my kitchen caught on fire by itself um, just about a month after I moved in. And uh, it turned out that there was an old 9-volt battery, like, from one of my guitars uh, that um, decided to just explode and light my junk drawer on fire, which, um, all things considered, was not 
such a bad drawer to have caught on fire because it was just like some saran wrap and some beer koozies. It's in the name. It was junk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the one thing that was in that drawer that I was really sad to have lost was this pair of gray-handled scissors. Um, and I was thinking to myself, like, ugh, that's too bad. They were so functional and good. I'll never see them again. And um, then when I was... My whole kitchen was just, like, totally filled with smoke and ash. Everything was just covered in dust. Um, and so it took me a long time to clean up. But as I was cleaning up, I realized that those scissors had been in the sink the entire time. Um, which I was very moved by. So I wrote this little love song to those scissors. Little Grace The scissors are saved How happy Probably the first ode to a pair of scissors I've heard. And thus by default the best. Oh. <laughs> and the worst. I heard the bird was by your door. Lurking
from the greater Burlington, Vermont area. That was Cricket Blue. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. And that's the show for this week. A big thank you to Cricket Blue for coming on and giving permission to play their songs. You can stream their music on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp, and you can purchase their album Serotonalia either digitally or on CD through Bandcamp. This episode was edited by yours truly. Theme music was written by me, with me on guitar, Ian Kohler on drums, and bass by Brian Duda. Thanks for listening, and have a good one, folks.